message, Daniel chapter number 5. We'll delve into it here in a moment. I'm excited about revival coming up next week. I trust you are too, and pray we'll be much in prayer for it. Morning's message from Daniel chapter 5 is simply entitled, What's Wanting in My Life? What's Wanting in My Life? A question that I think is great for you and I to ask, especially as we look towards revival. Daniel chapter number 5, if you'll uh, find your spot, kind of look up here, and I want to pause and have a word of prayer if we can this morning, and allow the Lord to continue to quiet our hearts and focus them on what He would have for us today, and then we'll get into this morning's message. Father, come before you this morning once again. We are excited about the privilege of studying your word. We're grateful that it is a living word, a working word, that, uh, Lord, you want to use it on a daily basis and today to, to do a work in our lives. I, I pray we'd be willing and yielded and submitted to your word today. Pray your Holy Spirit would indeed have free reign, Lord, that we will hand over the keys of our lives and, Lord, allow him to direct and guide from what we see in your word this morning. May our hearts be, Lord, prepared not only for what you have for us today, but in the week ahead as we look ahead to revival, we pray that it would be a great time of reviving us, refreshing us, rejuvenating us spiritually. Father, I pray that you would work in every heart now. Lord, there are many hearts that have come in maybe this morning that are weighing down heavy, maybe heavily distracted by something, maybe bothered by something. I, I pray you'd remove that and help us to turn those things over to you so that we can be 100% in tune to you and your word this morning. Father, thank you that your word has much for us. May we glean much from it now. We love you much. It's in Christ's truly precious name we pray. Amen. In the passage in here in Daniel chapter number 5, we are uh, right away introduced to a unique character. He is the king of, of Babylon. His name is Belshazzar. Belshazzar. He is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, it appears that he has not reigned too long here in chapter 5. And chapter number 4 is left off with Nebuchadnezzar. We jump into chapter number 5. We are introduced to Belshazzar. And so the reality is probably he has not reigned very long. And so as you can imagine, he, he wants to make a great impact on the Lord and the leaders of Babylon, uh, the people of Babylon. He, he wants to have a, a huge impact on them. And so in order to do that, he makes plans to have a great feast. And who doesn't like to eat? Amen. And uh, so he, he says, let's have a huge feast. Let's, let, let's blow it. In fact, huge in the sense of uh, nothing like they'd ever seen before. See, Babylon was still the world power at this time. They were on the top of the heap, if we could describe it. Uh, they had reached their zenith, and they had ruled most of the known rule, world. But the next two world powers were right there uh, on the porch, if we could put it that way. The Medes and the Purge, uh, they were right there ready to take over. We'll see that play out. But at this moment, Babylon is on top of the world. Belshazzar is on top of the world. Everything seems great. And so he decides to have this dinner party. And it isn't a small dinner party. We are told here that there were over a thousand lords present. So that must have been a pretty large banqueting hall, amen? Thousand lords present for this dinner party, if we describe it as such. And we can imagine there were less important politicians also there. Their spouses were also told in this passage the kings, part of the king's household were there, wives, his concubines, and others were present here for this wonderful event. And uh, it was probably one of, if not the greatest feast, the nation of Babylon had ever seen. The food was extravagant. The wine flowed. The entertainment, you can imagine, would have been top-notch. And there wasn't anything uh, left out. He was trying to make an impression. 
See, Belshazzar, one of those there gathered, all of Babylon, even the world, to think, ah, this is going to be the greatest reign of any king in Babylon, even greater than Nebuchadnezzar, even greater than any king that has come before. Mine is going to be the greatest. And so he's trying to start it out with, shall we say, a bang, and uh, to make a great impression here. Uh, to top it off, Belshazzar also, he, he made a dramatic uh, presentation. You can imagine him calling one of his stewards over, one of his servants. He said, hey, bring it out now, bring it out now. And everybody's kind of looking around. What's he talking about? Bring out what now? And, and uh, all these servants would come in, and they, they presented the gold and the silver vessels that were taken from Jerusalem, the temple of God. And you can imagine him standing up and saying, behold, the spoils of Jerusalem. That my father brought back. Tonight we will drink Babylonian wine out of these Jewish vessels. They'd pass them around and fill it with wine and and, uh, celebrate. In fact, the Bible tells us, verse number 4, that in doing so, as they drank this wine out of these Jewish vessels from the temple of God, they praised their gods. Their gods of what? Their gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone, verse 4 tells us. You see, as far as Belshazzar was concerned, the gods were shining, their fa- shining upon them, turning their faces upon him and Babylon, upon everything he touched. Nothing could go better. Nothing could be uh, better. It, this was perfect in his mind's eye. But then it happened. Things were stirred up. God in heaven chose to stir things up. In the midst of the great feast, something caught Belshazzar's eye. Maybe he was gazing to the side or looking at something else, and all of a sudden, something unusual catches his eye. Then another person sees it, and another person. And you can imagine somebody probably erupted with a faint cry, and everybody's attention was gathered, and a hush like death fell over the entire banqueting hall. And everybody was gazing, and they were looking, and they were looking at one singular thing. Very unusual scene. Daniel records it in verse number 5 of our chapter. He, he says this, In the same hour came forth a finger of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. Could you imagine what that would have been like? <laughs> All of a sudden in the gaiety and the, uh, and the boisterous celebration and rejoicing and the partying, all of a sudden he catches a, a glimpse of a hand and the fingers, uh, and we can imagine maybe that it was large, maybe it was, whatever the case, it's riding on the side, and the, their gaze is drawn towards it. And as he does so, the finger is writing. It's writing something on the wall. Belshazzar and the guests are taken aback by the fingers that write on the wall. This, this was not part of his plan. This was not part of the entertainment. In fact, likely they'd never seen anything like this before. And for a superstitious group of people, as the Babylonians were, and believing in different gods and the signs and things like that, you can imagine the impact. This was a bad omen. In fact, terror, no doubt, gripped the heart of the king as he gazed upon this most unusual event. But Belshazzar was smart enough to realize this is no work of man. This is nothing that man has done. This is the the work of a God. And and maybe, maybe, just maybe, Belshazzar is smart enough to say, "Uh uh-oh, this kind of happened right after I brought in the vessels from the temple of the God of Israel. 
And maybe he could connect the dots and say, wait a minute, maybe it's the God of Israel who I have blasphemed, whose things, holy things, I have desecrated. Regardless, Belshazzar understood one truth. Whoever it was, whatever God it was, this God was stirring things up. Notice the effect it had on Belshazzar, if you will. Look at verse number 6. Then the king's countenance was changed, (laughs) and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against the other. What a description Daniel gives us. Uh, the, The boisterous frivolity is all gone. The joy of the occasion has been chased away. He's totally affected physically. And this is amazing, the description here. Emotionally, he's affected. Uh, uh, It touches the depths of his soul and spirit. His thoughts are troubled, and he can't even stand up. The joints of his loins are loose, and the Bible says. He is, uh, you ever felt faint before? Something ever hits you so hard physically that I've got to sit down and, and uh, you have to immediately find a seat. And, and we think that this is maybe a modern description, but knees knocking together in fear. Hey, it happened in the Bible. The Bible literally describes Belshazzar's knees knocking together out of fear. They smote once one against the other. Uh, say, Why? What kind of effect? What would have that kind of effect? May I just tell you simply this? He knows that God is speaking. Now for him, he may have attributed it to many other gods, but my goodness, hey, listen, my friend. Wouldn't it be good today if the world, if the United States of America, if people today would have this kind of response to when God speaks? Wouldn't that be a great thing if, if you and I are so affected in our countenance and our trouble uh, that, that affected physically when God speaks, when God just shows up and he begins to stir things up, that we would respond in such a way that it would arrest us from our daily lives, that it would so capture our attention that we can think of nothing else but to immediately act upon it. Because God spoke. God showed up. And God started doing something to stir things up, to turn our world upside down. Can I encourage you? The fact is simple for you and I, even as we head into a a week of revival, this ought to be our attitude. Boy, when God speaks, I'm going to let it affect me, man. I'm going to listen to what God has to say. I'm going to be moved in such a way. I'm affected emotionally and physically. I'm affected spiritually by the simple reality that God wants to stir something up in my life. He wants to get my attention about something. He wants to move me to action. And that's exactly what Belshazzar does. He calls and he's worried, he's fretting, his, his mind is troubled. And he, he says, okay, I, I need help here. I've got to call somebody. And so he calls for all the so-called advisors, the wise men of Babylon, the magi, uh, uh, the intelligent ones, uh, uh, all the learned men. And he calls them together and he, he shows them this. He says, listen, whoever can tell me what that writing says and whoever can interpret that writing, uh, you'll get a great reward. And as he calls them to do so, none can, do so, can, can interpret it. Nothing can tell him what it says. It's a mystery to them. And as they come and they uh, admit their failure and they usher out, the terror grows in the heart of the king. In fact, 
the whole household is affected and uh, they hear about the troubled spirit uh, of the king in this alarming event and the queen hears about it and I believe this is speaking about his mother, the, the, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, though it certainly might be speaking of one of his wives, but I, I think it probably would lean to the queen, uh, his mother, the, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. And she hears about it, so she comes into his presence, and she comes with a solution. Look at verse 11, if you will. Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. There's a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians and astrologers and Chaldeans and soothsayers, all the ones he just brought in to help him. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. So she comes in and says, listen, you've got to call this guy. He's done it before. Yeah, there's been instances with your dad that, that he answered and showed the, the meaning of visions and dreams. And uh, it's obvious the Spirit of God is upon him. So call Daniel. He, he is your lifeline. He is the one you've got to call out to. And so he does. He calls Daniel. Daniel comes. He, he stands before Belshazzar. And uh, he offers him a, a great reward, much like he did the others. Daniel says, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. You can keep your reward. I'll tell you what it says, and I'll, I'll give you the interpretation of it. Now, I want you to notice, because this is important. God has stirred things up, and he has he stirred it up in, that, in Belshazzar's life in Babylon for a reason. And Daniel gives us the first reason. Why? Because Daniel does this. Notice it. Uh, Daniel begins by bringing to remembrance some events of the past, some truth. Important point, don't miss it, okay? Because when God stirs things up in our lives, and boy, God wants to stir things up in your life this week, in my life this week in revival, every time we open God's Word, he, he wants to stir some things up to get our attention, and He does so to bring some things into remembrance. And here, my friend, He does so in the life of Belshazzar. See, God often stirs things up to, to bring things to our memory. Maybe things we've forgotten, things we've neglected, things that we've kind of shoved to the side. He, he tells Belshazzar, hey, do you remember your father? Uh, he, he, Daniel reminds him that it was God who gave him the kingdom. God established him, and the time came, and uh, as God allowed him to do great things and expanded the kingdom for the Babylonians, he allowed him to have all this prosperity and glory. He reminded him in verse 20, hey, your dad's heart was lifted up. He became proudful. He became self-sufficient, arrogant in it. Notice what he says. His mind hardened in pride. And something happened. Listen, friend. God stirred up Nebuchadnezzar. God showed up in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And you remember, he made him like an animal. And how he describes it here, Daniel says, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And then if you read verses 21 and following, you'll see he was driven from the sons of man. His heart was made like that of the beast. His dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and so forth and so on. He's reminding Belshazzar, listen, there was a time that God showed up, and he stirred up the life of your father. And listen to me, Belshazzar, God has shown up again because he wants to stir you up. He wants to bring things to remembrance. Your father faltered. Your father had failed and he got pride and God is, was the one who put him into place and he had forgotten God. So God had to humble him. 
because he forgot that he owed it all to God. Then Daniel turns his attention to Belshazzar and he levels the accusation of him. He shows him where he has been failing and found wanting. Look at verse 22, if you will, with me. Verse 22 and verse 23. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, thou that knowest all this. Now that's an interesting thing. You know this. You know you ought to be doing this. You know you should be living this way. Hey, Belshazzar, you, you know you shouldn't have become prideful and proud and attribute this kingdom to you. No, 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 you know that. How could you forget your dad being turned into an animal? I mean, could you imagine? He, he would have been privy to that. He would have known the story. And you, how can you forget your dad being turned into like an animal for several weeks or months, being fed grass? I'll tell you, Nebuchadnezzar didn't forget it after that. You read the previous chapters, that makes it clear. But here's Belshazzar and his own father. And he says, you should have known this. You know this. Verse 23. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. Let's read that again. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of this house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and of gold and of brass and iron wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. In the God, now this is a great, excuse me, great statement. In the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. See, the statement is clear. The accusation is straightforward. You are proud. You are not humble. You have not heeded what you know. You have not put it into practice. You have not put yourself uh, under God, but you have put yourself before the God of heaven. That's a great statement. In your thinking and your doing and the credit that you've given and how you've lived your life, you have put yourself in front of God. He has not been given the driver's seat. He has not been made Lord of your life. You, Belshazzar, have been the Lord of your life. You have driven and made the decisions. You have lived for you, not for the God of heaven. And the last statement is powerful. The God whose hand thy breath is, in whose hand thy breath is, who are all thy ways, Hast thou not glorified? And so he looks at Belshazzar and says, listen, Belshazzar, listen, you've been found wanting. And the reality is God is going to stir some things up. And therefore, here's what's going to happen. This is from the hand of God. Here's how he's going to stir it up. And he, he reads what's on the wall and he points to it. And he points to the person and says, listen, as saying that your, your, your kingdom is finished, it's done. God has brought an end to it. He's going to end your kingdom. And then he makes that fateful statement in the middle. He says, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting you want to know why the hand showed up you don't know why god is stirring things up because you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting then the last statement he makes is the medes and purge your kingdom will be divided and they will assume your kingdom and the rest of the passage is amazing because it does not take very long for these things to happen you see the fact is he was slain that night Medes and Persians divided his kingdom and all came to fulfillment. Now I want to ask you a simple question as we make a careful application of it, okay? In whose balances was he weighed? 
And whose balances was he weighed? Well, obviously the clear answer is what? Well, that's the balances of God, right? Uh, He was weighed in the balances of God. It was God's balance. He was the one who said, I've weighed you and you've been found wanting. It brings up a good point. It, It wasn't the balance of his own estimation. He was like his dad, Nebuchadnezzar. Look, look at all that I've achieved. I'm a great man. I'm a great king. And hey, lords, let's gather and celebrate how great I am and how great Babylon is. It wasn't being weighed according to his own estimation of himself. And can I tell you, most of us here today have a great opinion of ourselves. But is that God's opinion? Is that his opinion? According to his balances and as he weighs us, according to the, the knowledge and the truth of his word, in his opinion... Have we been weighed and found wanting? Oh, for Belshazzar, the reality is, and if in one side of the scale there was of the balance, there was his own estimation, yeah, he, he probably would have equally matched up, but that's not the balance. Nor was it the balances of public opinion. Oh, the Lord's may have thought he was the greatest thing since Nebuchadnezzar, if not better than him. Uh, the public opinion might have viewed him greatly, called him a great king. But it, those weren't the balances. It was the balances of God in which he was weighed and found wanting. And I'll tell you, Christian, friend, this morning, the balances, those same balances of God are the ones that you and I are weighed in. Whether we like it or not. God in heaven has his balances and he weighs you and I because uh, to whom much is given, much more shall be required. So it's his balances in which you, it's not the balances of our own opinion. What I think of myself, am I a spiritual person? Am I, am I faithful? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than most. That's not the opinion that the balances uh, that you and I are weighed in. Oh, others around us may think we're a pretty spiritual person. We've got it all together that that we are uh, faithful and obedient across the board. But it is not the opinion of others in whose balance we are weighed. It is an all-knowing God who sees all, knows all, and knows your heart. He'll take you and I, and he'll weigh us in his balances. You see, my friend, the reality is this, is as we are weighed in the balances of God, it is his evaluation alone that matters. And so it begs this question this morning, as we head into revival, as we, we think about, okay, I'm a child of God, I'm supposed to be called a, I'm supposed to be a follower of God, a, a faithful follower of God, and the question we have to ask ourselves, are we weighed today and found wanting? If God were to tell us today, okay, this week I, I've weighed you and according to my balances, not your own opinion, not the, the public's opinion, but in my balances, I've weighed you and how you've acted and what you've said and what you've done. And would he look at you and I and say, listen, I, I found you to be wanting. In what area would he say that? It begs the question too, the reality is this, what, what are God's weights in the balance? What is it on one side of the balance that you and I are on one side, and what's on this side? And we'll get to that in a moment. We'll, we'll answer that, but, uh, well, in part, Daniel kind of answered it already. Okay? What did, what did Daniel say to Belshazzar? Well, first thing is this. He reminded him, or he brought things up to Belshazzar um, to bring or put Belshazzar in remembrance of some things. He's saying, listen, God has stirred up some things to get your attention. 
Okay? You're having your party, you're banqueting, things are going great in your life, things are happening wonderfully, and all of a sudden, this weird hand appears. Now, I'll just tell you, of all the stories in the Bible, this is one of the weird ones, amen? A bodiless hand appears. I don't know about you, but that kind of freaked me out. You know, we all have the fight or flight. I think half the banqueting hall probably ran. Because what's that hand going to do next? Is it going to turn on you? Well, okay. And uh, I have a hand that I get my kids with. It's called the claw. And so when I tickle them and get them and so forth. Okay. With a, t- with a turn on. Hey, this hand that's sticking there. Hey, what, what is this? It's crazy. And Daniel's saying, listen, Belshazzar, why in the world did this uh, mysterious hand show up? Because God is stirring things up. And Christian, may I ask you this week, how did God stir things up in your life? What's God doing right now in your life to stir things up? To get our attention, to put us in remembrance of some things that we have neglected. Some things that we have let slide as Christians that uh, may be just rudimentary things of the Christian life, but we've let them slide and we've let them be neglected in our lives and and we've put them off to the side and God is saying, okay, I'm going to stir some things up in your life. And it is true. Uh, God will send things God will do things. God will allow things to stir us up to remembrance. Why? Because he wants to reveal to you and I, and do not miss it, what is wanting. What's missing. When we are put in the balances of God, and here's you and I, and here's what God expects, and you and I just don't equal up. We don't match it. We don't weigh out. We're found wanting. The balances are not equal. Great trials and tests God will send. Even tragedies can be ordained to stir us up. The Bible is given to stir us up, to remember the truth of God's Word, to remember His Word. Notice the verses from the New Testament. They make a great connection. I I love what Paul and Peter do. They tie together in the New Testament. The same thing that we're seeing here in Daniel chapter 5. Notice what they say. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I love the connection here that Paul establishes between remembrance and stirring up. Remembrance and stirring up. Okay? Peter takes it a step further and follows right in line with Daniel 5. Notice what he says like Peter 1 13 yea I think it meet it's important it's necessary uh, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance stir you up I'm going to put you in remembrance. I want to remind you of some things. I'm going to stir you up to do so. Uh, he goes on in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He adds another uh, statement. This second epistle, beloved, now I write unto you, in both which to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Stirring up through reminding one of truth is what Paul and uh, specifically, even more so, Peter is saying here. Okay, how many of you have ever been cooking before, and and on the stove you've had a, like a a a, a, um, a pot of gravy or a pot of soup or or something like that, whatever the case may be, and and, and uh, you're letting it simmer on the <laughs> on the stove top and so forth. And you all know, and we know that maybe chili, whatever the case may be, it can get that little film on the top, right? gets a little crusty, gets a little hard on the top. And, and uh, what do you do? You go in, you take a spoon, and you stir it up. 
You kind of mix it up again and, and stir it up so it's not stagnant. So there's not things just sitting there on top. And you don't have this layer of, 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 of things that ah, gets hardened and, and it kind of gets crusty and so forth. You know what I fear? That sometimes we be so long as Christians and our hearts are not moved and touched, we become hardened and crusty. And God says, uh-oh, I need to send something to do what? Stir it up. So I'm going to allow some things, I'm going to send some things, I'm going to cause some things to happen in that Christian's life and that Christian's life because they're stagnant. They've forgotten some things that they've learned a long time ago or have learned recently and it's no longer being heeded and obeyed in their life. They're faltering in these things and and I need to stir them up. I, I need to send something to get them going spiritually. He stirs up in our lives and can I just tell you one way he does it? And it's much better than trials and temptations and so forth tragedies you know one way he does it is through revival through revival through every sunday and wednesday night that you and i gather in god's house he he wants to stir some things up so it never that spiritual film doesn't get there on the on our life and become crusty and hardened christians that are seldom moved by the word of god we're seldom touched and seldom changed what is the goal of the word of god my friend it is transformation and you and I are constantly changed into the very image of Jesus Christ. And if that's not happening, boy, our God loves us enough to stir things up. And he'll use all kinds of means to do that. May I just say, I, I would venture a guess that for most of us here today, and uh, we, we've heard it before, Evangelist Rick Flanders uh, had a great message sometime before. He, he talked about the reality that all of us need revival at different times. We, we need revival. We need God reviving us spiritually and, and, and doing things, stirring things up in our lives. And the reality is, probably, for all of us here, there's something likely wanting in our life today. There is something in God's balances that on one side, he puts a weight, something that he has described in the Scripture, and you and I on the other side, and the fact is, we're not matching up. We're not meeting his expectation. What could be some of these weights? Well, the first and very general one could be found in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. It says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and don't miss this, for Thy pleasure to please Thee. For Thy pleasure they are and were created. So if we had the balances of our life, the reality is on this side of the balance, we have pleasing God. With all that is in my life, all that is my life. And on the other side, there you and I are placed in the balance of God. The question must be asked, are we found wanting in this simple and general thought? My life, as I live it, as I, as I go about my daily uh, living, do I glorify God? Am I bringing Him pleasure? I've said it before many times, and as I endeavor and attempt and don't always succeed, but as I endeavor and attempt to please my wife, it helps to know what pleases my wife. It helps to know what, what does she like? Does she like milk chocolate or dark chocolate? It's dark chocolate, by the way, but she doesn't hate milk chocolate. Okay? Uh, what kind of flowers she like? When's she like? I mean, you, it's good to know these things. What pleases her, okay? Uh, uh, to, to clean up some of my stuff pleases her, amen? Take her my stuff. I know what pleases her. What, make her happy. How do I know that? I get to know her. Can I just tell you right now? You know what? If we're not pleasing God, then we ought to ask the question, do I know what pleases God? 
Have I studied his word? Have I looked into it? Have I found out what is the heart and mind of God? What is the delight, the desire of my God? Because I am put on this earth not to live my life my way, but to live my life for him who is the way. Are we pleasing him? As we, this morning, as we're putting the balances of pleasing God and my life and all that it is, are we found wanting? God would stir things up in your life and in mine to ask us, are we found wanting today? Secondly, we, we need only look to the, the, the book of Exodus and uh, we are confronted with a simple reality of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> ten Commandments are a great ten weights, shall we say, that are put here. Thou shalt have no other God before me. You shall have no graven images. Thou shalt not take God's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You will honor your father and the mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. And so it ought to probe you and I to ask some questions this morning. Is there something else or someone, in my, uh, someone else in my life that is my God? Is there something else that is the God of my life? Am I the God of my life like Belshazzar? Am I the one who uh, dictates everything and decides everything with little regard to God? Do I claim the name of Christ, but then I act like someone of the world, and I take his name in vain, and I think that commandment is taken both ways, certainly curse word, and, and using God's name in vain. But can I tell you, my friend, if you call yourself a Christian and live like the world, you've taken God's name in vain. If you do not live like a redeemed new creature in Christ, old things being passed away, all things become new. If we do not live like that, we have taken the name of Christ in vain. Because my friend, Jesus Christ is the Savior that changes lives. And if we don't live like that, we've taken God's name in vain. We've been found wanting. There are areas in our life in which we look very little like Jesus Christ. Maybe you take his name in vain. Maybe you, you've let a euphemism uh, slip from your mouth. You take his name in vain. Do you observe the spirit of the Sabbath day? Do you, do you set aside time and a day for him? Do you keep that time as holy and unworthy to be spent with other pursuits? Does nothing interfere with God and his time in your worship of him? Oh, my friend, the idea of the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, yes, that is done away with. But you know what the New Testament does? It tells us that every day ought to be dedicated, committed to God, lived unto him. And there ought to be times in our days, and there ought to be times like this service that we have set aside and we have committed to him, and we keep it holy. We don't allow anything else to interrupt it. Do you honor and obey your parents? Do you by extension, obey and honor authority in your life. Have you killed someone? Oh, that's an easy one, Pastor Henry. I, I haven't murdered anybody that I know of. Uh, I, I haven't killed anybody. Well, let me ask you this, because the New Testament expounds upon it. Do you have a spirit of hatred? Do you have a spirit of angst towards someone in your heart? Because Jesus Christ said, essentially, you have that kind of spirit. You call somebody a fool, you have committed murder. It's amazing how the New Testament in the age of grace expects so much more of us. Can I tell you why? Because you and I have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the grace of God to help us live it. So do you have an attitude of murder? A spirit of murder, of hate, of angst, and, and such hatred towards somebody? Are you or have you committed adultery? Physically? Emotionally? In your mind, through pornography or images or, or simply through thoughts? 
The New Testament, again, takes it a step further, doesn't it? Christ does in the New Testament. He says, anyone who looks upon another person to lust after them in their heart and their, their, their mind hath committed adultery. An image, pornography, you name it. Someone walking down the street that I allow to, to bring illicit thoughts to my mind and, and, and lustful, desirous things. My friend, God has said, you have committed adultery. You have been weighed and found wanting. And I sure am glad the Ten Commandments are good for today, aren't they? They're instructive. They're helpful for you and I to eh, say, okay, am I measuring up? Let me ask you, have you stolen something? Have you stolen from your employer? Have you taken from someone else? Are you stealing today? Uh, maybe from another person or maybe even from God. And finances that belong to him. Time that belongs to him. And you spend it on something else. And when we are told, do not steal. <laughs> oh boy, it encompasses so much. Have you given him his rightful tithe? Have you, have you given him all that truly belongs to him? Have you lied? Have you borne false witness, as the uh, Ten Commandments puts it? Ha have you said false things about other people? Have you, have you promoted rumors and slander? Ha have you lied? Have you not borne the truth? Then the last one, do you covet something today? <laughs> Is there something that you are jealous of and discontent over? You're not satisfied with what God has put in your hand. and uh, Maybe your vehicle, maybe your house, maybe your job, maybe your finances, uh, maybe events, maybe you, you name it. God has put some things in your hand and you're just not thankful for it. You're not content. You look at someone else and you want that and you'd rather have that. And Oh, I wish I could have that. Can I tell you, my friend, if that is you today, you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. Because God wants us content. He says, don't covet that. Don't covet anything else. So it begs the question for you and I, and as we quickly peruse these ten weights, am I found wanting today? Oh, quickly, there's another one. It's found in Matthew 23 and in, in 20 or 22, 39. It says this, and the second, speaking of the two great commandments, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Man, what a statement. Are you kind, forgiving, loving, caring, thoughtful of others? Do you prefer them over yourself? Do you think of them first, looking for ways to show kindness? Are you tender-hearted, as the Bible tells us to be, towards others, ready to forgive quickly, allowing love, as the Bible puts it, to cover a multitude of offenses, a multitude of sins? Are you willing to die to self for the betterment of others? Do you love others as you do yourself? And that's a look at 1 Corinthians 19, or 13, excuse me, and you get a great description of love. Are you and I that way to others? Have we loved our neighbor in that way? Are you wanting when you place yourself in God's balances when reminded of this truth today? And then I think this, the last one I would share with you, certainly there's a multitude more in scriptures that we could say, okay, that's a weight that God expects. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Uh, you and I sharing the good news, getting the ministry of reconciliation, my winning souls. And we can put all kinds of things in that balance, all kinds of commands and expectations of God. And we ought to put ourselves here and would God say, uh, you've been weighed and you've been found wanting. But there's one last one that I think is probably the heaviest weight of all. And it's found in that same passage in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Christ said unto him, and referring to that great law, the first great law, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. In one side of the scale, we simply find we are to love God most, best, and first. Do you love God like that? Him first in your life? Do you love him most, 
with everything, your time and talents and possessions. You, you love him most. You, you love him first. You love him best. Is God first in your life, in business, in politics, in social life, in everything? Listen, my friend, you and I as Christians, as blood-bought children of God, we don't have a section of our life that's called spiritual, that's called, oh, that, in that area I'm a Christian. My friend, you ought to be a Christian in every area of your life. At work, at home, business, politics, you name it, you ought to be a Christian across the board. Why? Because you love God more than anything. And he is first, and he is best, and he is the most in your life concerning your love. Do you do it? Have you always done it? Is it the first and great commandment, right? So we ask ourselves, am I found wanting? Let me ask you this, and we'll close in application. Uh, uh, What is it that God is going to have to do in your life to stir things up? What's God going to have to do? Get you serious about some things. Maybe something we mentioned here. Maybe there's something else the Holy Spirit put his hand on. And and God says, listen, hey, hey, you've been weighed and you've been found wanting. And now I'm going to have to stir some things up. What's God going to have to do to stir it up? I don't know about you, but for me personally, I sure don't want God to have to up his game in my life. I don't want him to have to increase the severity of what he uses to stir me up. I already said before, yeah, he uses God's word. We saw the scriptures there. He'll use the preaching of his word. He'll use other Christians to try to stir some things up. But when we don't listen, we turn a deaf ear, we neglect what God is trying to get our attention about. Boy, God will send trials and God will send tragedies. God will send things into our lives to get our attention. But boy, I'd sure rather take his word the Holy Spirit's pricking the sermon like this, a, a week of revival like we'll have shortly, and allow God to use that to stir things up in my life. Father, would you reveal, God, today, would you reveal where there's some thick film spiritually on top of my life, where I've grown crusty and hard in some things and some areas, maybe something mentioned in the message, but whatever it is, the Holy Spirit puts his hand upon it. Father, I, I don't want you to have to do much. I don't want have to, you to have to up your game to stir things up. You've got my attention. What do you want me to be in remembrance of? What is it I've forgotten? What is it I have neglected that I knew? I I ask you this. I like Belshazzar. I thought this was a stirring statement about Belshazzar. We ought to ask ourselves, where in my life have I been lifting up myself against the God of heaven? That's what Daniel said to Belshazzar. This is what you've been doing. Where you favored yourself, your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own ways, decisions over his desires and instructions. Maybe it's as simple as you've been living for yourself. Maybe where you've been acting as Lord of your life instead of Christ being Lord. Where you're putting yourself before God and you're thinking and doing. And I want to lift myself up against God in my life. And if God, God, if I'm doing that, would you show it to me? Would you reveal that to me? I was thinking this week as reality is and you and I because we are his children that we're going to be weighed in the balances of God. I, I thought of this statement and it stuck with me all week. I've been thinking about this message. Hey, can I just tell you this? And it has increased my excitement about revival. It has encouraged my prayers about revival. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. And I, I really do. This ought to be our motive and our motto going into revival. It's simply this. I want revival because I don't want any regrets. Okay, I, I want God to stir up some things because I don't want to get to heaven and I, I don't want to say shoulda, woulda, coulda. 
I don't want to get to heaven and say, man, I, that was true. I should have been living like that, and I should have been doing that in my life. I should have spent some time and finances on that, and, and I should have given my life to that, and I should have put God first in that area and in that area. I don't want to get to heaven and have any regrets, so my friend, I'll let, I, I want God to stir it up, and he does so by revival. So God, would you bring revival, and would you start the work in me? Not to be our prayer. See, I, I sure don't want to be found wanting. Do you? As I'm weighed in the multiplicity of the, the balances of God, whatever it may be on this side that God has put His hand, finger on, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us about, I sure don't want to be found wanting. How about you, friend? You bow your head and close your eyes, every head bowed and every eye closed. In just a moment, I'm going to ask uh, the pianist to come. Actually, Brother Dave, you'll come too. And just a moment, we'll sing as part of our invitation, I Surrender All. I Surrender All. We'll sing that here during our invitation just a moment. A little different. I get it. Okay? But I trust it will help you and I and it will speak to us. The, love the meaning of that song. But maybe here today and you say, Pastor Henry, I... In response to the morning's message, God has really spoken to me. I really believe that God is stirring some things up. And it may just simply be the revival. I, I know God wants to stir some things up in my life. And, and, and already the Lord has spoken to me about some things that are wanting. And there's no better way to be ready for revival than to start revival today. <laughs> okay, Father, you've spoken about some things and I want to take care of it. So maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Henry, uh, God's already stirring some things up. It may have been the thought of revival. It may have been some things that I know are happening in my life, but he's stirring things, some things up and he's already put his finger on some things that are wanting. Would you just pray for me? God's already doing a work. God, God, God has revealed to me, boy, he's, he wants to stir some things up because I'm not all that I ought to be and he wants me to be the best that I can be. So would you pray for me this morning and because God has revealed some things that are wanting in my life. If that's you, just put your hand up all across the auditorium. It's just you and me. I'm looking. Amen. Many hands. Any, any joining that? God's already revealed. Amen. Many more. Anyone else? Hey, God's already spoken to me. He's stirring some things out. I can sense it. Amen. I can sense it. There's some things wanting. I know it. I, I need to work on it. Would you pray for me that, that I'd listen? <laughs> that I'd be brought in remembrance and I would obey it. If you remember, the statement was that Belshazzar acted. And yes, he did. But you and I need to now react on what we are brought in remembrance. God wants to do a great work, friend. God wants to put you in his balances and find that you aren't wanting, but that you are matching exactly what he has. And you can do it through God's help, through revival, through the things that God wants to bring into our lives. Father, we ask now that you would do a